Blog Talk Radio. questions, the comments, if you just want to listen to the show, feel free to call us at 516-453-9118. That's 516-453-9118. Or you can see the video version of Reconnect My Heart at ReconnectMyHeartPodcast.com. Yes, ReconnectMyHeartPodcast.com. You see and be able to contact us. Uh, also, just in case you want to get on the uh, chat room, you can feel free to get on the chat room at at uh, blogtalkradio.com. What we want to do, we want to go ahead and get on with the show. I am very excited, very excited to have this special guest. This special guest has been on here before, and what we want to do, especially for the Super Bowl Sunday, we really want to dive into a topic that most don't talk about, but 
I want to introduce to some and introduce to others a great young man. I, cause I would definitely consider him a friend. Uh, he's an author, great minister, father, grandfather, a husband, uh, uh, just about everything he does. That he uh, very knowledgeable about finances. He actually wrote a book. Him and his wife uh, wrote a book about finances, but also about grief. And so that's why we're here today to uh, have this special guest to come on to talk to us and give us some insight about this particular topic of grief. Matter of fact, excuse me, we want to just give him time to just share with us uh, his wisdom and knowledge. And so I want to introduce some and present to others our very own, the grief coach. Our very own Minister Bradley Vincent. How you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm excuse me one sec. I'm, let me get you in it right quick. Now I got you on. How you doing today, sir? There we go. I'm doing yeah. great. Good, <laughs> good, good. Like good. A, when I go live, usually I say, "Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?" So yeah, it's good. It's always good to be with you and just uh, hang out and as I say virtually break some bread together, man, and share. So it's great to be here with you today. Yes. Yes. Thank you, my honor. And thank you for spending a Super Bowl Sunday with us. You know, I was, I was a uh, very concerned. I looked at the time and uh, the day I was like, Oh man, but it's Super Bowl Sunday. And when you was like, Oh, I'm game. I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know? And so, like I said, I, I thank you. And uh, if you don't mind, just in case someone who may not have um, seen you or know anything about you, can you give us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, in a nutshell, I, I tell people I am a servant, and I just happen to serve people in multiple ways. But one of the ways that is really close to my heart is serving God's people that are dealing with grief and the people who care for them. And uh make a long story short, I've been – in the grief ministry since 2016, since the tragedy happened with my family, and I've been just caring for the grieving community and leaning into the process of helping men and couples and grievers in general that are dealing with hurts and things of life. And I'm also a fire and police chaplain, so I go on a lot of those critical calls when tragedy has happened in my local community, serving them in the immediacy of their grief. So that's just what God has called me to be and called me to do, and I am uh, doing the best I can with that. Okay. Okay. Yes, you know, um, I think grief is something that some people may run from because of the lack of understanding of, I guess, grief. And um, can you explain to us a little bit about grief right now? Yeah, I mean, textbook definition, I guess you would say, grief is just a natural reaction to loss. And usually how we define it or we talk about it is usually in loss due to death. But you can grieve all kinds of things, right? Babies grieve when they're hungry and they miss their mommy and daddy or whatever. And so we can grieve all types of things that usually is due to death. And it's just the outward emotion of that loss. That's what grief is. And it's a journey that uh, at some point I think we all will travel or somebody will travel it due to us. So it's just something that's 
very universal. It's just how we go through it as as a grouping of people or individually that makes a difference. Okay. Okay. Um, what caught my attention this week, and I'm sorry I didn't pull it up, but um, you had such a beautiful video about grief. And um, if you if you remember off the top of your head, can you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, uh, that video in particular is a short reel that I put on Facebook, and it was basically talking about love much, you're going to grieve much. And grief is just an outward emotion that we all share and things that we have to deal with and the intensity of that grief. You will even grieve relationships you wish you had, right? So you grieve your loved ones once they pass and move on to glory and Sometimes if it was unresolved relationships or even difficult relationships, you will grieve the relationship you wish you had with that person. And then I kind of went into a little bit of regardless of how deep that grief is, just rest in assurance that God is there with you through that, standing beside you and being able and willing to give you comfort through that. And also that some things we'll never have answers to. I know in grief a lot of times we have that, why did this happen, or why me, or why did they have to go that way, and all these different things, right? And our faith is sometimes challenged, but we also have to realize that there's just some answers we will not get on this side of eternity, and just how to deal with that and be bolstered by God's presence in those, even in those situations. So that's, in a nutshell, what the video was about, just talking about grief in a general sense, and just really focusing on regardless of what you're going through, God can be there in the presence of that. And there's no promise of answers, but that can be okay even if your faith is bruised in the process. Yes. Yes. Now, matter of fact, um, my Sunday school teacher, uh, he's also um, part of the grief recovery. He and I have a lot of uh, conversation about grief um, sometimes we see people when someone is going through something, we see where some people may feel like they have to have a certain thing to say to really make a person click. But um, one thing we will often talk about is sometimes some people with good intention, they say the wrong thing. Have you witnessed anything like that? I've witnessed it, and I must admit, when I was on the other side of my grief, I may have said some things that I thought were helpful that were hurting. And I, and let, let me say this. Let me back up a little bit and give um, not some house rules, but I just want to put a covering over the conversation because I know we'll be talking a lot about church and a lot about believers and spiritual things and faith and all of that. And I want to say this up front. This is not an indictment of the church. It's not an indictment of the community of believers. It's more so an inspection or an observation. So it's not, you know, you guys are making all these mistakes and blah, blah, blah. But it's more so an inspection of what we have experienced and what others have experienced that we have gained knowledge from. So let me just give that covering over everything. This is not a fight against the church or browbeating of the church. It is and observation and inspection of how we've been doing and handling grief over time. So let me just give that as a as a preface to this. 
but yes, I mean, immediately in some of our most recent grief, believers and friends and even family have said things that in my grief state I might have taken as being insensitive, I don't know, um, just numbing or whatever else. But they were trying to say the cliched, spiritual, good person kind of stuff, right? And honestly, you don't want to hear that in your immediacy of grief or at any point in your grief, honestly. But at the surface, they seem nice. And until you're grieving, even to the outward world, it seems nice. But as to a griever, they are painful. They seem like the person has no sense of being in touch with the present situation. And what I tell people in the general sense, especially believers, I think, or people that find themselves want to be caregivers, the need to say something profound, the need to try to make them feel better or heal them instantly, puts us in a position where we say things that are just, that can be hurtful instead of good. So I tell people to really lean into the ministry of presence, which is also what I call show up and shut up. <laughs> so be blunt about it, right? Just, just, just be there. Be that ear because grief wants to be witnessed. We want to talk about our grief to a certain level, but sometimes even in the quietness of it, we're expressing our grief, and we just want someone there to witness it. We don't need someone to give us a profound word and heal us in this, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? So we, you know, we have to really watch it, um, what we say to those that are grieving. Because sometimes just a hug, uh, hold my hand, put your hand on my shoulder, look me in the eye, and just be be in my presence. And, and be comfortable with my tears or be okay being uncomfortable with my tears, right? Just knowing that tears are going to come and just be be willing to sit in that uncomfortable situation with me. So a lot of times the, the ministry of presence goes a lot further than trying to say something profound or say something spiritual or say, you know, quote me Bible verses that's, that's supposed to help me. Uh, I, I think sometimes we, we try to do too much in those situations. And uh, it comes across at times a little bit insincere. At times they can feel hurtful, like the person doesn't understand um, my loss or the loss of the person. And, you know, so just, just be present. When all else fails, show up and shut up. You know, just be present. You know, uh, <clears throat> as we spoke about today um, at church, um Subsequent people just talking, and um, sometimes as a minister, sometimes we don't quote unquote have time to grieve because people are leaning on us. And um, when when he mentioned that, it made me think about my dad when we lost our sister. Um, I told my daddy, "You don't have to be strong." I'm not requiring you to be strong and to his church also. And I told my dad, I said, look, I don't want to talk to Pastor Prater. I want to talk to daddy. I said, Pastor Prater lost a member 
but that member could be replaced. But you lost your daughter. And I said, you know, you can you can take off your mask, you can take off your Superman cape. I said, I want you just to be you. And I want you to have permission for you to be you. You know, I want you to be daddy. I said, yeah. you know, the pastor, the pastor, that could be another time. But right now, daddy needs treatment, you know. Yeah. And um, he he was very appreciative for me to be able to say that and for me to allow him to say that. And, and you know, my daddy being Superman, he always protected us. But for that moment, even though it was only God that I can lean on to help me, but I wanted at that moment to have daddy to be rested and for him to just pull out, you know, um, and especially you being a minister, you can share that some thoughts on yeah, that too. I, mean, I, I think it's, it's hard for pastors and I'm not a pastor of a church. Uh, I, I, I guess a better definition would be, I can be a pastor in a church, right? Pastoral care, men's ministry, deacon ministry, those kind of things. I was not blessed with the administrative fortitude, I guess is a nice way to say it, to shepherd a whole flock of people. <laughs> God ain't placed that on my heart yet. Who knows what the future beholds, but I don't see myself being a pastor of a church. But I, I and I won't give out any names because I haven't discussed with those people prior to this to, their story in particular, but I had a pastor friend that father passed away. He, so he took that Sunday off of church, flew to the location of his dad's. His dad was a pastor. Flew to the location of his dad's church, funeralized his father, came back, and then the next Sunday was in the pulpit again. And one thing that I, I don't know if you could say I pride myself on or whatever, but if I'm going to be a member of a church, I want to be more than a member. I'm not a bench warmer. Um, I am, I'm going to get involved in a church. I'm going to work in a church. And a lot of times that puts me in a position to then become more than a member, but a friend and a colleague of the church leadership, right? And so we might go out to lunch every now and then or whatever else. And when I saw this pastor, I was like, hey, you know, you're human, you're a man, you have permission to grieve. But what I also had to understand is that, from lack of a better way of saying this, church people are needy. They, they're always in a position to want or need something from the church, administratively or from the leadership. That's not a bad thing. But what I'm saying is when you take that position of leading a flock, Sometimes you gotta you gotta get your life in where it fits in. That ministry, everybody's family is their first ministry. I believe it's the first ministry God gave you. Then He gave you the additional ministry of ministering the flock, and that's what I believe, right? And it's like, yes, the church is needy, but it's time for you to take a sabbatical, take a month off. The church ain't gonna fall down. You got assistant pastors. The church will be all right. The church will actually be worse off with you trying not to grieve and trying to hold it together, serving everybody else and trying to tough through it. I'd rather have you rested, 
Not that your grief is going to be over in a month, right? But take a month off. Don't answer the phone from none of us at the church. You're off. And take time to minister to your own family and to yourself to start your grieving process properly. And as as church leadership, we have to do that. Like you said, take off that Superman cape, be a man, be a woman, and grieve that loss, whatever that loss was, right? Your health or whatever's going on, and stop trying to tough through it. Because I think, and that and this kind of leads into other things. That level of vulnerability from a pastor or church leader that's going through grief and showing the church that you need that time to grieve privately for you know. And I'm dealing with this right now, and I'll be back in a month or however long. And you know, and then when you come back, let people know you're grieving. That shows the congregation that they can do it that way too. When we try to tough our way through it and keep that Superman cape on, now all of a sudden, well, the pastor never cried when they lost their dad. The pastor didn't do this when he lost his wife or whatever, right? So now as a member, when I have my loss, that's my example. So if I do anything less than that, something must be wrong with me because my faith is not strong enough. And I think that's how the church can really do a disservice to its members, especially as church leadership, we think us holding, together, us holding it together is an awesome example of how you get through things. I think just the opposite. It's showing me that now I can't show weakness. Now I can't be fully me. Now I can't grieve as a whole person because I got to put on a straight face, all is well, let me smile through this. I better not cry. I better not look like I'm zoned out. All these things, right? So we have to do better in the example that we show top down in the church that then allows the members in the congregation to grieve in a holistic way. So I think there's a little bit of responsibility, whether known or not, that precipitates the other people in the church being able to grieve well. So I think it's a little bit of both. We got to give them the space to grieve, and they got to take that space to grieve and be vulnerable in it and be open with it. Yes. I had a comment. Um, thank you, cuz, one of my relatives. Um, thank you, cuz. We need this so bad in the black community. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing to add to that. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to amen it. It speaks for itself, right? Um we, we find ourselves in our culture, in our community, it's almost like, right, if you ain't suffering, you ain't black, right? It's always that stiff upper lip, we've gone through so much, so we're used to going through so much, we're just going to keep going through the next thing. And we don't, we don't show the full versions of ourselves, especially in the place where we should be allowed to do that outside of our home. That secondary place should be our church, where we can be holy, who we are, broken, all the pieces, everything, because the church is our hospital. But we go to the church, and we want to act like we're not broken. We want to leave all our, all our issues in our car in the parking lot and come in the church and raise holy hands in a fake way or whatever, you know, with a facade, right, of the Lord is so good, which he is, but we, we, we need to stop faking it, right? And it's like 
you know, then we get, you know, in the old school days, we had the testimonial Sundays and everybody would testify for three hours about what God delivered them from, and the delivery is awesome, but I want to hear the struggle too. The struggle is what what combines us, what holds us together, because it's like, oh, you were hurting too. Oh, yeah, you're still struggling eight years later, and I hate to use the word struggle. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But you're still dealing with, you're still hurting from the loss you had eight years ago. The rest of the congregation needs to see that and not label that as weakness or lack of faith. And I think, and I say this all the time, the Bible is inerrant, which means does not have an error in it. Our interpretation of Scripture can be faulty at best. And we twist and turn and say Scripture's wrong and act like the Scripture said this when it didn't, and we make people feel bad for feeling bad. And we come to church, fake goodness wrapped. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. And you're hurting. But you can't say you're hurting because that makes you look less spiritual. And that's a lie. It's, it's just a flat-out lie. And we have to stop that as a church and stop minimizing grief as if grieving is something that only non-believers have a right to do. And I said this to you the other day, right? I don't do a bunch of quotes and cliche type things, but when we're talking to, you know, I know some guests are in the house too, and I'm not going to get into what religion you're in if you have no religion at all, because I think this message can help everybody in a way. But I'm talking to believers right now. We all know as believers we win in the end. We know where our home is. Because I know how the story ends does not mean I don't get to cry at the sad parts. I know I have victory down the road, but I'm losing stuff on the way there. I'm losing family members. My health is failing. I'm losing relationships. I'm hurting, and it hurts. I know there's victory one day, but it hurts today. And how dare we as a church family not allow each other to hurt? That's what the church is there for. It's a hospital. But we come there like it's theater. We want to act like everything's okay. And we have to stop that. And it's the bending of scriptures, these little cliche things. Oh, God needed another little angel. He needed another flower in his garden. Number one, that's not how angels are created. <laughs> Let's stop it. Number two, I don't serve a needy God. I don't think God needed my four-year-old granddaughter. I don't think that's why she died, because God needed her in heaven. Oh, she's in a better place. So the spiritual side of me agrees with that, yes. There's no better place than in God's bosom. But the flesh side of me feels like there's no better place on earth that my granddaughter can be than beside me, period. So that's the struggle, the flesh side of me and the believer side of me. I want my loved one. But the spirit side of me knows they're in a better place. But that don't make me hurt any less. And we have to stop that as if we don't have a flesh side. Not that flesh is sin all the way sinful. I mean 
the physical man side. We have a physical man side that has a physical ache in their body because they had a loss, and we can't deny that. So that's why we have to get better with this as a as a church family, and we got to stop acting like, you know, uh, forgive me for going on to this tangent because I think it all just kind of meshes and molds together. So I I kind of talk through it as I talk through it. So cut me off at any time, but. I think I feel so much that, as I said, this is not an indictment of the church. This is an inspection and an observation. That's what this is, right? And so much in church, we're dealing with the hurt as if it's a bad thing. And we hear sermons about Job and the premise of Job. I made a Facebook post about this the other day. The moral premise of Job is not that Job got double for his trouble. The moral premise of Job is you go through with integrity, prepare you for the next time you go through. Job did not replace, get replacement children. Job got more children, meaning Job still had empty chairs at the dinner table. Job didn't get replacement kids. He got more kids. Job in the Bible is probably the most extreme version of loss outside of the divine loss that God experienced when Jesus was sacrificed. Loss of relationship with his wife initially, then his friends, and he thought loss of relationship with God. We'll get to that in a minute. Loss of resources. Remember, all his cattle and stuff was taken. His people were taken. Because the Chaldeans and all these people, they came and they slaughtered his servants, not warriors, not, not bodyguards, not other fighters. They slaughtered innocent people that were just working on Job's land. And even the extended grief of that, he lost his children. He lost money. So he had the quadruple, right, of loss. Any kind of loss you probably can imagine, Job had it. And this went on for months. So you can read this as if it's a couple of scripture in the book of Job. This was months of aching grief and aching sickness, scraping himself with pot pieces from pottery because he just ached with all the wealth and things on it. But see, when we read that scripture, Job shaved his head for his robe, then fell to his knees and worshiped. We just forget about all the stuff he just lost because he worshiped. But people don't realize, right? I'm going to get a little Bible here on you. All those things symbolize grief. In their culture, shaving your head started your grief journey outwardly to the world. And that was telling people, I'm grieving until your, until your hair grows back. They knew he was in a grieving process. He tore his robe over his heart because that means my heart is broken. My heart has been torn, symbolizing grief. He was giving symbols of what he was feeling physically. But we gloss over that. He lamented before God. God, where are you? Why did you birth me to do me like this? Why don't you just kill me? 
Why did you do me this way to kill me? And the God said, this is a man after my own heart. And even even before that, his wife, which was a believer, said, why don't you just curse God and die? So she was a believer, but she knew what could get them up out of here. (laughs) He said, curse God and get us up out of here. Just curse them and die. You don't want this pain. I'm observing the pain that you're going through, and I want it to end for you. Think about that when a person sitting next to you has lost a loved one. When you try to come to them now and give them this, these platitudes of, why are you down, man? This is the day the Lord has made. It's time to move on, man. You need to be happy. Don't you believe in God? As proclaimed by God, Job was a man after his own heart, blameless and upright, did nothing wrong. Job prayed for his children in case they did something God didn't like when they had their little family parties. Job was that kind of dude. So how dare we not talk about grief at that level? the gut-wrenching, hurting level, and help each other through that, walk with each other through that, versus saying, this is the day the Lord has made. You should rejoice and be glad in it. True enough, grief and joy can hold hands. A dear friend of mine said that to us, one of our uh, grief therapy people that we've gone to, grief counselor. Grief and joy can hold hands. But he was grieving, and we gloss over that. So we, we need to do better with that. And we over-spiritualize grief. And we, we do all these things that try to minimize the idea of hurt and of loss. And we, we look at each other like, how, man, how, how bad is your faith? How weak are you that you're hurting? Ain't you saved? Now, that's the persona that's given. Very few people probably have ever heard somebody tell them that. But the things that we hear as grievers, what other Christians say to us, sounds like that. And we got to get better. We got to get better. Wow. I'm glad that you mentioned about the job because I wrote that down to make sure that um, you quoted that. And matter of fact, um, someone commented a few minutes ago. I don't know if you're able to read the comments, but this. Uh, Danny Max said, your observation about Job is right on. Your observation about the church is right on. Jesus is acquainted with grief and sorrow, but the church is not. Yeah. 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 I spoke. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. And, and, what, what I, and it's so funny. So, I mean, and they say the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, but you know the true Writings of scriptures don't have numbers and all that kind of stuff, right? And the lengths of scriptures, and, you know, but we'll leave that as it is. But they say Jesus wept is, is the shortest scripture in, in the Bible. But um, nobody really digs into why he wept. Now, many theologians say different things. Most people believe it's because of uh, Martha and, and Mary and because of Lazarus and where were you, Jesus? And he felt their sorrow, and 
he felt some sorrow due to their sorrow, and he wept. Some say Jesus knew where Lazarus was, and he wept because he had to bring him back to this broken world. He's like, don't y'all realize he's in a better place? And y'all are asking me to bring him back. And he wept for that, knowing that he had to pull Lazarus back from a place that was better than what he was bringing him to. But that's, that's the, the God that walks alongside us. And we have to, we just got to do better. I, I don't know how to say it better. I don't know how to put it in different words. I mean, it's so easy but so hard because we, we want what's best for people, but we don't realize what we're, and I'll say it this way too because I, I put some blame, I don't say blame, I, I talk to grievers. And when we're on this side of grief, we can talk about everything that everybody else says to us that's hurtful. But before we had our loss, we were those people. And we got to admit that. Before we had the, the losses that we have that have touched our lives in such a deep and profound way, we were that person that was saying the Christianese platitudes that we thought were being helpful, but they were being hurtful. I was that person. Until I until loss crossed my doorstep in a way that touched me so bad that those words stung. So we all got to learn, and some of us can't learn or understand till we're on this side. And I hate that for them. So I'm trying to jump out in front of this and say, hey, before you get to where I am, spend some time being more compassionate of the whole person. And show that love that God's talking about, not the things that you think are Christianese and cliches about grief. And uh, Danny Mack is actually a dear friend of mine, and he and I talk a lot about this. And he's one of the people that I was talking to before, and he said this profound thing to me because I was telling him about some work I was doing. And he was saying, churches do an awesome job up until the funeral. Then they have your funeral. They clean the church up. Y'all get some chicken and snacks or whatever else y'all getting. Sunday morning, the church gets dressed back up as normal, as if nothing ever happened there. They may mention your loved one. They may not if they weren't a member. And if you're not there, they may not mention it at all. But the, that train is moving on again. And it's, it's church as usual. And that train keeps on moving when, you're, when your world has stopped spinning. Now, Yes, the church has to keep opening their doors, and they got to keep worshiping. They got to keep giving sermons. They got to keep having women's ministry and men's ministry and children's church and take up offering. And they got to do those things because they got to care for the flock as a whole. But all I'm saying is, you got to at least throw a lifeline out to the people that world stops spinning. You know, and it's, it's practical things even. I call it a a grief calendar, from lack of a better term, right? The date that their loved one died, if they're a widow or something, what was that? What was what was their anniversary? What was their loved one's birthday? What is the anniversary of their death? And when you start getting close to those days, the church needs to make a connection. Hey, brother, so and so. Hey, sister, so and so. We know your loved one's birthday is coming. We want to let you know we're thinking about you and we're praying for you and is there anything we can do for you? Let that person know you're still thinking about them 
and their loss is still important. But see, when somebody dies, you call the church, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that so-and-so died. They may assign somebody to you. Three or four sisters and brothers might come by your house and help you do your program and make their arrangements for the funeral and what time you want to be at the church and what day. And, yes, the pastor is available to do your funeral. And it's all hands on deck. But as soon as that, that funeral is over and Sunday morning comes as if nothing ever happened, and we got we to gotta do better. We got to do better. And it, that's just practical, logistical things. That's practical stuff. But I'm not putting no church on blast. But in a general sense, I want somebody to tell me if, if they visited or had a family member or whatever, a member of a church, how often have you seen them do those practical things like that after the funeral, more than a month after your loss? It just doesn't happen. And it's not an indictment of the church. Maybe they don't know better. Maybe they don't know how to do better. Maybe it's never been brought up. Maybe nobody was ever bold enough to say it. But we do such a good job until the funeral, and we lay our family member to rest. Choo-choo, that train leaves the depot, and that church is moving on. You're in their rearview mirror because you're sitting there. And I love my church. And this is not a fault of the church, even this, right, even this practical thing. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, kind of popcorning, but it all fits together so much that it's all kind of one thing. And I don't want to forget something. So I just, when it pops in my head, pops, drops in my spirit, I just say it. Even the idea of having your funeral at your church, the trauma in that. And what was so funny um, I had a precursor to this and didn't even realize it. I had a dear aunt of mine that, that fell ill after my uncle passed away, and she passed away years after he did. But I, but hearkening back to when my uncle passed away, my aunt worked at a school, and it was small-town USA, right, tiny town. So their home church was small, and whenever they figured it was going to be a kind of a big funeral, they have the funeral at the school gym, the local school gym, because I just had more space. But she happened to work at the school. And I remember my mom telling me this. She said, yeah, um, auntie said she don't want the funeral at the school because she works there. And she'd have to walk by that gym every day, and she'd remember that your uncle's funeral was at the school. And it didn't dawn on me. I was like, wow. I heard my mom say it, but I was like, you know, kind of went by me. But then I had my granddaughter's funeral at my church. And you don't know the trauma that that is to sit there every Sunday and you're trying to worship and the praise dancers are standing where your loved one's casket was and the pastor's standing behind the space where your loved one's casket is. And that's all I could see at church every Sunday. That's the vision I had every Sunday for months. And we no longer are members at that church, and it's not necessarily because of that because we moved away from that church. And I didn't even realize the trauma that that was years later because we would go back and visit the church, and sometimes the guest pastor would be there, and I'd be fine. I'd go to church, 
have a beautiful time hugging on members that we were friends with and we lived close there and stuff like that. But it had to be the right set of circumstances. I'd go back and visit again. The bishop and the pastor are there. I sit down and I lose it. I can't sit through a full church service. And it's, it was just the trauma of all the pieces coming together. Both of them had to be there. And like all these other pieces and everything would just come sweeping back years later after we had my granddaughter's funeral. But I didn't know that until after I did it. So I even tell people that. Don't try to be so spiritual in things where you think a church funeral is a must versus maybe even in the church's auxiliary room, at the chapel, at the funeral home. That don't make you less saved because you have your funeral at the chapel, at the funeral home, because you don't realize the trauma that that can induce. And you can't erase that. I can't undo that. I had my granddaughter's funeral at my church. Now, I'm not saying it traumatized all of us, but I know it traumatized me. And, it, and, we, and we do all these things in the sake of um, the way it's always been done and the way of that's just, you know, how we do it. That's just a, a ritual of doing it. And we don't realize the trauma that we put ourselves through um, for the sake of doing things the way they've always been done. Beautifully said, when you were speaking, I thought about when there are some type of uh, situation that happens at schools, there's always a counselor that goes to the schools to speak to the students or even the staff members. At my job at the sheriff's department, whenever there's a loss of a coworker, there's always the chaplain that comes to minister or even just to allow us to talk. They need to be implemented within the church. Yes, and I'm a chaplain with the fire police department here. And so, hmm. um, like you said, I'm, I'm probably one of the only people you know that gets called by 911. We're <laughs> calling 911, right? So my phone will ring, and it's like, hey, are you available? We need you at this address. How quick can you get here? And all I know is there's been a tragedy. And I get my gear bag, and I go. Right, so I'm I'm there in the midst of immediate trauma, immediate grief, and most of the time after I introduce myself, I sit down and just be a presence in that home. I don't know these people; they don't know me. I'm just a calming presence, and I tell them I'm here for when you're ready to talk. I'm gonna sit over here in the corner, out of the way. Need me to get you a bottle of water? Need me to? you know, run traffic for you because everybody's trying to come to your house. And at some point, you know, I might be there two hours. I might be there six hours. It's up to the family. And at some point in that process, I'm talking to them. But sometimes I'm just there. And I'm sitting there giving them a compassionate look, and they're looking at me crying. And that can be 45 minutes of just that. And then as I see the space, I go sit with them, put a hand on the shoulder, ask if I can touch them, or can I touch your hand? Do you mind if I touch you? And I just sit with them. The church needs that. But see, here's the funny thing. The church thinks it automatically does that. 
because everybody in the church thinks they're, they're lay ministers, which we are. Everyone in the church is a lay minister. We, we can minister the word because it's not, I don't mean Bible something. You love on people. And when they say, why are you loving me like this? Oh, I love you like this because a person that loved me like this. The saving love of Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why I can love you like this, right? So we're all lay ministers. But we take it too far, right? Because we all think we're, we are ministers. We want to, you know, let the pastor rest. And we want to come, not just come be with the person. We want to, you know, be profound and do this and do that. And that's part of what I do. I train pastoral care ministries. I train church staff to go along with their heart and desire to help. They need some knowledge and some training to go along with that heart to serve people that are grieving better. Because a lot of our ministers are just are just loaded with people that have a heart of ministry. And there's a place for that and there's a need for that for sure. That should be baseline that you have a heart for ministry. But and who Jesus, you know, calls he equips, I believe that too. But at a level when you don't know operate in a hospital room, when you don't know that, not that these are deal breakers, right, but even, even the things, this simple thing that probably all of us do and even I did before I learned better because I studied and I trained and I educated myself and educated others with this. And it's a simple thing, and some people take it as a joke, but I call it, wait for the snot. And what I mean by that, usually when somebody's crying, everybody runs and grabs some tissues or hands them tissues. And what's the, usually the first thing somebody tells you when you hand them a tissue? I'm sorry. Because did you know that you're unconsciously telling that person, your crying is making me uncomfortable and I need you to stop when you hand them a box of tissues? But if you just sat and let them cry and let them feel better, because as my grandson says, tears are like medicine, you let them cry and get it out, then when their nose starts running, they're almost through crying then. The cycle is over. So you wait for the snot, hand them a tissue to wipe their nose. They were able to cry. They were able to cycle through that and get through that and feel better. And they don't have that stigma of, oh, oh I'm crying. I'm making everybody feel uncomfortable. You see the difference in that? That simple thing goes a long way with caring for somebody that's grieving. But that's a knowledge thing to go along with the heart, right? Because a lot of times, even us as grievers, we take on the responsibility of making everybody else okay with our grief. Now, think about that, really. Every time you hand somebody a tissue, they apologize for crying like they did something to you in their pain. And you didn't know you were doing it. Automatic, hand them a tissue is telling them, stop crying. Here's, here's something for that, to help that, instead of just sitting in that and letting them cry and saying, I'm willing to sit here with you through that and be uncomfortable with you through that because I know crying will make you feel better. Right? That's a knowledge thing versus a heart thing. 
And so even little things like that, teaching pastoral care ministries, how to work through that and teaching people how to better companion other people that are grieving and how to act when you go to somebody's hospital room and the protocols for that and caring for people and what to say and not say and all those kind of things. That's knowledge to go along with the heart. And But those are easy things that we can do as a church family to care for each other better. And that's that's part of what I do. That's something that many of us, I think, we overlook. We we, we look at the, the big stuff, but like you said, the little nuances, we overlook that. Yeah. You know, um, the Bible, when I think about one plant, one water, we have to be mature enough to acknowledge we don't know everything. And really, like you said, many of us, we're not equipped for certain things. That's when we need to be knowledgeable enough to admit that and refer them to someone that may be more knowledgeable and more equipped. And and also, it's okay for us as believers to go to counseling. Like you said, that doesn't mean that we ain't saved, we lack in faith. I want you to comment on that. Okay, I, I, I tell people this. If you if you fall off the ladder and fracture your leg, are you running to the church or you running to the hospital? So yeah, that's that's a physical hurt. Okay, I get that. But God gave us prayer. God mm-hmm. gave us psychologists, mm-hmm. and God gave us prescriptions too. Right? That a lot of times in the church we find ourselves as church leaders. And as a church body, we put stigmas on each other because we feel like, and God can do whatever God wants to do. Let me start with that. I'm not naive, right? God can take scales off the eyes and make the lame walk and make the blind see and make unplugged ears. God can do whatever he wants, right? But let me preface it with that. But I think sometimes we put prayer and church leadership and loving on them and let's just go to church more in place of things that though that the church can come alongside of versus be the only answer to, right? And God could have cured me of asthma, but he didn't. Yeah, my asthma turned to severe allergies and now it's a fifth wind blow across my face, I can't breathe, right? That might just be what I'm going to have for the rest of my life. But I figured out how to go to an ear, nose, and throat specialist. I squirt flow nase up my nose. Does that make me less faithful? Does that make me less saved? Because I take medication for my allergies. Hmm. So, but, so as Christians, your allergies are okay. That, that, ain't, that ain't doing nothing about your salvation. But don't be depressed. Don't be sad. Mm. You see, those things mean you're weak. Those things mm. mean you don't have faith. Right? And if we make those things worse on people because of that. Church as a body becomes so much gatekeepers and pseudo-protective of its people that it hurts them 
in under the under the you know under the guise of protecting them. Well, you need to go see the pastor about that. Yeah, but the pastor, yes, he is equipped. She is equipped. They are equipped. But they are not psychologists. They are not therapists. They're not physicians. They're pastors. They're preachers and teachers. They're not therapists. Now, there might be a therapist that is also ordained to be a pastor. There might be a pastor that decided to go to medical school. But that's not who they are. And I think sometimes we try to force the people into this biblical, spiritual faith ladder climbing up to get the things they need. Well, God also gave us common sense and health insurance. I'm just being real Uh practical, right? And so when we let the church and church people tell us what's valid to go to the doctor for and what we must get answers from from the church. Now, yes, there's spiritual warfare. Yes, spiritual warfare can probably also have you depressed and things like that because things that are in your life that you've let inside your ears and your eyes are affecting your spirit and have you depressed to have you thinking things you shouldn't be thinking. And, yes, the awesome prayer ministry with a man or woman of God or even with your family member can help with that. I'm not saying it can't. I'm not saying it can't heal you of that, if that's what, if that's how that can happen for you. But while you're going to that prayer meeting, and you got to go to your psychiatrist, too, to come alongside of that, they shouldn't be looked down upon for that. No different than I go to the, you know, to the healing revival to get, you know, to get my, I want God to work on my allergies, and I need God to, you know, to help me be more confident and consistent and a better husband. I'm going to the prayer meeting for that, but I'm also going to the doctor because my diabetes acting up. Now, I'm going to go to this meeting and have y'all pray over me that maybe God will cure my diabetes, but I'm not missing my appointment tomorrow, and I'm not going to stop putting insulin, taking my insulin. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to take my insulin too. You see what I'm saying? Because God gave us common sense, and God gave us these other resources. That's not denying the power of God. That's us also taking some ownership in where we are mentally, physically, and spiritually. And that's not saying God can't do what God does and God's people can't do what God people does. You know, you know what I mean? But but he gave us responsibility too. And if we're saying, I need some help now, I need to call 988 right now because I'm thinking about doing something to myself. My pastor might be might be asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. I might get voicemail. But 988 is a 24-hour hotline if I'm thinking about dying by suicide. So what would you do? Does that mean you don't believe in God? Because God also made your mind and God brought to your memory there's a phone number I can call to get me some help. And who's to say the person at the end of that 988 line ain't somebody that's saved as sister so-and-so that also happens to be on the pastoral care ministry at a church in another state? And we get we get too caught up in this where we act like, the church is the only answer. The church is a answer. God gives us his word, and the word is our instruction for life. Yes, but 
as 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 things evolve and as things are created, more people are educated in different ways to show us how to have mental health first aid to care for one another and keep each other safe for now so we don't do bad things to ourselves and help us to see the light until we can see our pastor or see our family deacon, we got to also acknowledge those kind of people. We have to. And we can't, we got to stop over-spiritualizing pain, hurt, and all these things is that there are a detriment to our faith and our relationship to God. These are things that come alongside of that, not bigger than God, but they come alongside of that to help us get better, to even better, to clear our mind to be able to hear God. I might need to go see my therapist first to get some meditation techniques so then I can come home and go to my prayer room because they taught me how to quiet myself so I can hear God better. I can now come home and go to my prayer room and use that technique that my therapist gave me so I can be in communion with God better. You see what I'm saying? But if I but I'm too ashamed to tell somebody else at church that's hurting like me that I'm going to a therapist. Because if I say therapist, that means that I don't trust God. But that therapist is helping me get closer to God because of the techniques they gave me. But we've built a culture in our church where the church is the only answer. Other folks, other broken people like me up in this building are the only answer, and they just as broken or more broken than me, but their facade is better than mine. So I'm not getting healed. They faking like they healed, and ain't none of us progressing in, in our and our journey with God because we're in conflict with what we can and can't do with ourselves to put ourselves in a better position. People don't realize that might be one of the methods that God uses. God may help you through them. We try to dictate what method God going to do, what he can't do and all that, and we end up missing our blessing, our healing. Someone said, this is excellent. I don't know if you're able to read all the comments, but uh, I, I got a text message. Yeah, I know all of them are. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I got a text message a few minutes ago. Someone just told me, this is excellent. Someone else said, this is what I need. Yes. Amen. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'm going to – I see someone on the, on the phone. Matter of fact, I believe I know who it is. I'm going to get them on also. Hello, welcome to Reconnect My Heart Podcast. You're on the air. How you doing today? I'm doing well, and how are you? Doing good, doing good, doing good. Yes, thank God for you and for you. Yes. He has validated things I've been trying to say for years. Because... He said so much that I've been doing and that I've been trying to, in our black churches to try to help us to understand as believers through the grief process. First thing, I'm, I took some notes down, but I'm not going to take up the time. One thing that the first thing I put down is vulnerability. If we can't be vulnerable for God and in the church, who can we be vulnerable to? Amen. Because God cares about everything about us. 
And you know, you and I have talked about the loss of my sister. Once again, right now, the tears of, I got tears in my heart because my sister and I was only 11 months apart. This month will be 17 years. 17 years. I thought I had it down. I thought I had it down. And she and I shared the same age every year for a whole week. For a whole week. And when, I'm going to tell you my experience. We, for her service, took and made a, took a 5 by 7 and made an 8 by 10 of her second grade picture, black and white. We all had them blued up. I had to keep mine laying down on the dresser. One day I came home after a couple of years. It had been laying there for years. Came home, and my wife had put it in a funny. I lost it. Because it was too final for me. It was too final. So God taught me that through my loss, my grief, is asking what is it that he wants me to learn from each one. And for my sister, he took me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. See, the only way I'm able to help somebody else, like he said, all these platitudes and all that, uh-uh, that didn't get it for me. I believed in God I was saved, and I am saved. But that wasn't helping me. Right. And so when God got me to understand that he let me go through that so I could be able to help others in my ministry of grief, until then, I didn't, like he said, I always wait till, you know, this June, maybe two weeks after, because you know why? The phone calls are going to stop. The people are going to stop coming by. And the family's left by themselves. And they come every Sunday and hurt, and nobody, nobody goes there to come alongside them. I agree with him 100%. Last week, I just got through with some widows back in Mississippi talking with them, and they would tell you every birthday of their, of their loved one who has gone on, every wedding anniversary, all those special days, I know them. I call them on those days. And even when the first one came up, I would, they would say, what I'm going to do, I, don't, I say, I know what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you what you do. Whatever you all did that was enjoyable to you, I want you to do. One of my great aunts, I told her, get in his truck and go ride and go to the places you'll go to and think about the conversation that you had. She called me and she said, that was the best time of her life. And she just these are little practical ways that we can do things to help those who are going through. And like you said, uh, you know, I've told you, Junior, you got to talk about you mentally. See, when I go, I don't say a word to them. I'm like, you know, I, I get in a position where I'm away. I watch and observe what's going on. I never tell them not to cry because I tell them, grieve whatever way you need to grieve. If you want to scream, holler, shout, you do that. It's okay with me because, like he said, 
I am not going to make you feel sorry about the way that you agree to it. I'm not going to do that. No, I, I'm not. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, the next thing that I, 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 I said, special days, the aftercare, things that we say, you know, being present, like you said, just be there. Majority of the families that I have talked to have called me over the years after their loved one has been gone on. You know what they tell me? They remember more of the people they saw than the things that were said to them. And so I just thank God for you, brother. That And I'm going to ask you this here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to ask you this here. Whenever there's a trauma, I wish and hope and see if you agree the same thing, that they would let somebody else man the phone for them instead of having those people constantly asking them what happened because you're asking them to relive that trauma over and over. Would you agree? Yes, um, because until until we on the other side of grief don't mm-hmm. realize that's not helpful. Right. We need to help the person that's grieving help themselves. Um that's correct. And I think early on, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask the name of your loved one you've been talking about. Okay, my sister, who uh, went on, her name was uh, Deborah Washington, and uh, she was retired military and things, and uh, she loved the Lord and believed in God, and she was, even though she went through cancer several times, she always said, I'm all right. Yeah. I'm okay. And I, I always, I've, I learned to start asking for a name, and I'll tell you why I do that too, which could be another thing that can help you in, in your journey of helping people that are grieving. Because mm-hmm. until you said her name, she mm-hmm. was, and I, excuse me for saying the word just, she was just right. your sister. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm grieving from your definition mm-hmm. of your grief. Mm-hmm. But now the world knows that Deborah existed. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's and so I important, and I, I know it's important for you too. Um, mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. when my when my granddaughter passed away, and I have mm-hmm. grand boys now, she was the only granddaughter. I mm-hmm. would always say, "I'm Bradley Benson, Alana's Pawpaw. Mm-hmm. and nobody knew why why I would say that because I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. say the story. I just said that, mm-hmm. and people start calling me Alana's Pawpaw. Now my reason behind mm-hmm. that was twofold. Had to say her name because I wanted the world to know that she existed. But right. then I knew that she could never call me Pawpaw again. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. can look at me and see me. But I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to know who I was to her and who she was to me. So I'm Bradley mm-hmm. Benson, Alana's Pawpaw. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people this, and, and thank you so much for your service to the grieving community. And mm-hmm. you, you reminded me of something as you were talking about that that mm-hmm. I, I, I say this to people that are grieving. One thing that a lot of grieving people have in common, we'll say that loss has changed our address book. And if you're <laughs> old, you'll say it's changed my contact list for the new folks in their cell phones, right? But, mm-hmm. but, but I, I say this to grieving people. Now, you know who loves you. Right. You know who your real friends are. You know who were not just hangers on. And some of those people were real tight with you before you had your loss. Mm-hmm. And I, I dare say this, and I asked all grievers this question. Maybe 
those people that really loved you, that you think deserted you, they're grieving the person you were before your loss. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to respond to you no more. Because mm-hmm. you were their golfing buddy. You were their shopping buddy. You were their go-out-to-the-movies buddy. And maybe they called you a couple of times early on and invited you to play golf because that's all they knew how to do, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's, kind of, that's what the buddy you was to them. But you said mm-hmm. no two or three times. Or you saw mm-hmm. their name and you didn't answer two or three times because you were just too down that day. But they mm-hmm. loved you. But they just don't mm-hmm. know. They, they, they lost too. They lost mm-hmm. the person you were before your grief right. happened. Mm-hmm. And I implore people that are grieving to do this. Take mm-hmm. two or three of them, them names or them people that you think may have deserted you because you know the mm-hmm. ones that really loved you before. Mm-hmm. And you give them a call, shoot them an email, send them a text and say, hey, I miss you. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on this journey, and I think you're on the journey too. And I think mm-hmm. if we just spend some more time together, we can help each other on this journey. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man, it, it'll change your life. And it's going yeah, help you I'll, a grief journey. I'll agree you with know? you. Right. I agree with you because, see, as I went through mine, and uh, Brother Jill know that uh, the other year I had a section of loved ones that uh, went on and uh, was ushered into the kingdom and stuff. And they just kept coming one after the other one. After. And he was telling me, sometimes he said, you know, you always giving out, but nobody's putting back into you. And and I, I, I listened to that, and I said, yeah, he's right. And I would say, who do I go to? And, you know, and I thank God, I pray that I pick up. Because, see, you have come. God has sent you to me to help me in my grieving. And so I just thank God for you and thank because one of the most difficult things I had to do, and he knows this, when my mother was ushered into the kingdom, I knew for years I had to do her eulogy. And I thank God that God gave me the strength. He gave me the courage to do that. But even after that, four months later on New Year's Day, to recognize I still was in the state of shock. And God helped me to recognize that. And so that right with my mother, that helped me so much that I've been able to deal with my mother's grief better than I did with my sister because uh, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to get off. It's that she, she and I talk to each other just about every day. Every day, Deborah and I talk to each other. And so it was the close, it was that closeness that we had and stuff. And it was a grief that I had that I had never experienced before. And so so with that, I thank God for you, and I thank God for Brother June and having you because he told me the day that he would have you on. And even though the Super Bowl is going on, I have to listen to you. So. Thank God for you. And thank you for that, brother. I appreciate you. Uh-huh. Yes. This this was definitely, definitely needed in so many areas. Um, and and I'll, I'll tell you, um, Brother Landy helped me when I lost my sister. Um, I found out just like myself and Sheila, he and his sister were... Irish twins, you know, 
born within a year of each other. And the thing that got my attention also, I want to make sure I got you on. The thing that got my attention also was um, when I lost Sheila, there was some relationship, like you said, that changed. But the eerie part was they loved me, but because I reminded them so much of Sheila, they were afraid to speak to me, to talk to me. And matter of fact, I spoke to one yesterday, and sometimes when they see me, they turn their head. Some of them cry. And I had to learn to be okay with that. And, you know, to each his own. To each his own. Some people can, cannot handle that or whatever, but right. even with that, that helped me even with some of the insecurities I had right after Sheila passed because that the first 48 hours after she passed, I told God, what am I going to do? I was used to being Sheila Prater, brother. Even though I'm older than her, I'm Sheila Prater, brother. To some people, I had no identity but Sheila Prater, brother. Now Sheila ain't here. What do I do? Yeah, and I have to idea? be real with God. I have to be real with God. Yeah, and and uh, as we grieve, we it we're going through our grief, which is hard, which is a journey that's individual to us. And even as you said, Brother Prater. You know, when when your when your sister passed away, it was a communal loss also, right? Other people within your circle and within your shared circle with her, they also lost her. But everybody's grief is individual, right? You lost a different version of Sheila than somebody else lost, even though all y'all lost Sheila, right? And I think even in that, we have to train other people how to care for us in our grief. I remember early on, um, it probably wasn't even a couple of weeks later, I went back to church, and I was approached uh, by a pastor, and they said, I want to show you something that gives me strength. And I thought they were about to open up their Bible and show me something. So they opened up their Bible, and they pulled out my granddaughter's funeral program. And I started weeping. And then they rushed and put it back in their Bible and closed. I said, no, 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 no. I said, whenever you want to talk about my dear Alana, I want to hear about it. But I need you to be okay with my tears because tears will probably come for quite a while whenever her name is brought up or I'm showing pictures. I need you to be okay with that. I want you to talk about her, but I need you to be okay with my tears. And sometimes we have to train people on how to care for us and let them know that, yes, I'm grieving. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, you're going to get some raw emotions. Yes, you're going to get this. But I need you to still walk this part of the journey with me because I know you love me, but we need to be, be able to be willing to be uncomfortable together. And me crying might shock you. It might jolt your system. If you're a female friend of mine and you're not used to men crying, but you knew I had a granddaughter, 
to when you say something at work about her or something, and I start crying and it jolts you because men don't cry. No, but you my friend. I need you to be okay with I need you to be okay with being uncomfortable with that. Be uncomfortable with that because you care for me, right? And we have to train people on how to care for us. Um, and that's, that's part of our – I won't call it burden. It's part of our responsibility too, because people don't. Some people don't know how to care for us, and it is completely. I call it part of what I call my 100-0 rule. Right, you're 100% in control of making people aware of your grief. You're 0% in control of how they respond to your grief. So, be who you are in your grieving process. Be completely who you are but also be aware that you're not responsible of the response you get. That's not your burden to carry. But I also say this to people that are grieving, because I really, I love on people that are grieving, but I feel we have responsibility too as part of our healing process in that you, can, you are not allowed to use your grief as a weapon to mistreat people. You are not allowed to do that. You are not allowed. Oh, yeah. I had to cuss them out because I'm, I'm, no, you have to cuss somebody out because you're grieving. You're using your grief as an excuse to treat people bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm equal opportunity, tough love. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to browbeat people that don't, that give all these platitudes to their grieving friends and say dumb stuff and all that. But, yeah, I'm going to do some tough love to grieving people too because we have a responsibility also. Um and that's just kind of part of how the journey works. And I, I wanted to say this um, in a general sense. I remember this kind of harkens back to uh, faith and spiritual things and how we grieve. And early on in my grief, I think I had become my own victim of not over-spiritualizing my grief, but misplacing my my spiritual um, intelligence. And I'll tell you this way. I was talking to people all the time in church formats, even podcasts like this that was mostly believers listening, and I would always say, always healing, I-N-G, never healed, ED on this side of eternity. Once you're grieving, you're going to always be grieving. There's going to always be that pain. You're going to always be in the process of healing, but never healed until you're on the other side. And I was listening to a, a, a pastor friend of mine during the, during, I call it the COVID years. We had to go to church online, and we were kind of church hopping. Because, you know, you can do three churches in a Sunday on, on, online on, during COVID. And we would always go to their church, and he was preaching a sermon, and God pricked my spirit. And after church was over, we always had this open Zoom session meeting, which you get out of the service, you know. And I always enjoyed that. And I realized, and I had to just say, I said, I have a confession to make, y'all. I've been lying to people for the last three or four years. And I was lying to that you'll always be healing but never healed. Because God pricked my spirit, and he told me this. He said, because he was speaking to me at the time, he said, I made Alana. 
so I know the exact dimensions of the void in your life when she left this earth. I know the exact depth, width, dimensions, all the jagged edges, everything. I know the exact dimensions of it. But you won't allow me to touch it, to heal it. Mm. And he said, I'm willing to heal it, but I'm not going to make you let me heal it. Because healing don't mean I forget her. Healing don't mean I don't love her no more, all that kind of stuff. And what I realized, he gave me the analogy of surgery. So if I pulled up my sleeve far enough or took off my shirt, you'll see scars from a surgery I had. And I'll go back to the doctor now. He'll say, A-OK, your tests are good, you're healed. But these scars from my surgery shows that work had to be done but I'm healed. By all accounts, I'm healed. But if I take my shirt off, there's evidence of some work that's been done. That's the same thing with God with our loved ones. But we have to let him touch it. But there's scars, muscle memory, so to speak, because our body remembers those dates. Our bodies remember those smells of, we used to go like this certain kind of pizza, or when I smell those certain kind of flowers, and I get sick and I ache, our body remembers, but that don't mean we're not healed. Those are the scars from God working on it. And so I start using this other analogy of when you get a scrape or a cut, one of the first things you do is you put a Band-Aid on it because you don't want nothing to touch it. You don't want to, you know, bumping on nothing. You need some protection from it. But after a while, you got to take that Band-Aid off and let it get dry and crusty and get a scab. And then eventually the scab will come off. And you're good, but you got a little scar there. But that had to happen. Why? Because you had to take the bandage off and let some air hit it. Then the air get it crusty, get you a good scab, and you're good. That's how our pain and our hurts are. When it, Immediately when it happens, we want to cocoon and cover up and go sit in the dark corner. Don't touch my pain. It's mine. It hurts too bad. I don't want to look at nothing. I don't want to see nothing. I don't want to hear nothing. But at some point, we got to let God breathe on it. Got to come out the closet. Got to come out the man cave. We got to come out of the, you know, wherever, and let God breathe on it. And it's going to get a little crusty. It's going to get a little scab. But it's going to heal. But we can't keep it covered up. It's going to get all gooey and sticky and never heal. We've got to let God breathe on it. And that's how our grief is. Grief will naturally take you towards healing. But you've got to let God breathe on it. You've got to let God get in there and put some time in on it and sew us up and put a drain tube in and cut this little piece out over here to fill that up and put a little gauze in there and add a little glue and some stitches. And there's the, there's the work of God in that thing, and you got the little scars, and you got, you got you know, because the stitches kind of itch every now and then. There's, there's always a trait that some work's been done. But by all accounts and purposes, you're healed. And we, we have to see our grief like that. I look forward to being healed. Yes, I'm healing right now, but I look forward to being healed someday on this side of eternity. Maybe it won't happen. But I know God's working on it, and I'm letting him breathe on it. And I'm more healed now than I was yesterday, last year, last month, you know. 
but I'm letting God work. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep it covered and say, God, you can't touch this one. Don't touch it, God. Right? We gotta allow Him to touch it, and that still kind of reigns in that that realm of that spiritual and of that church family thing. And if we speak about grief and speak about hurt at that kind of level, not that we got to over-spiritualize our way through it and pray it out and have more faith. I'm like, God, I, I ain't got nothing, but I know nothing plus you is more than enough. So, God, please take my nothing and work on this for me. I love you, God, but I, I, I don't have nothing, but I know I got you. And that's more than I need. And I, I'll, I'll be able to participate with you, God, maybe next month. But I ain't got nothing. But God, work on it. And we got to have a space where we can let people have zero and be okay with that and not question their faith because they're at zero. Job was at zero. Job asked God, why did you make me if you're going to do me like this? And where you at, God, show up and defend yourself. Hmm. And God said, God said, you, you, call it, you call it who? You call it me? The one that put the song in the bird's mouth and hung the stars? Where were you at then, Job? So you calling me asking why I do you like this? Where were you at when I was doing all that? Where were you at when I made you and made all these things that you happen not to have right now? Where were you at then? Right, And we have to remember that, but we don't speak about grief like that in the church. We just figure, don't be mad with God. You know, God's got it. Have faith. Have the faith of Job. Job was told up. And Job said, God, where you at? You need to come see me right now and explain yourself. Because you said I'm a man after your own heart and blameless. So if I'm all that, how dare you do me like this? That was Job. You know, so we, we have to we have to humanize human experiences in the church and help people work through them. Hmm. I'm gonna say this real quick. Um some people feel that if you acknowledge or bring up the loved one that passed, well, you ain't got over them and you know, you idolizing them. They say all these things, they try to make you feel guilty about bringing them up. But also, even you deliberately not bringing them up, it's just as bad as, quote-unquote, bringing them up in their outside. And I, I, believe, mm. I believe in sharing with people, do, be natural, be yourself. You know, my sister and I, because we were very close in age, we have a lot of experiences together. So if I end up doing something and I'm sharing a story, if my sister was there, I'm going to bring her up. And there's still, there's still also a healing process, but also, like you say, a healed process too, because you're able to explain, but when a person deliberately avoid seeing it, you're depriving yourself of healing. Please right. share. Please share. Here's, here's what I say about that. I don't have a heaven or hell to put nobody in. 
and I'm not going to let nobody else put me in heaven or hell. That's, that's my relationship with God. And I will say this in a blunt way. Whatever you put before God is what you is your idol. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's their car. For some people, it's their wife. For some people, it's their job. For some people, it's their bank account. So we do as Christians, too. We put levels on stuff. So even though I idolize my job, I put my job before God because I'll go to jo- I go to my I go to work every day, rain, sleet, or snow, but two two water droplets hit the ground. I'm standing in the house on Sunday. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do bedside Christian this morning, right? Or not even that. No, this is my day to sleep in because the weather bad. But you ain't gonna do that for work. So you putting your work before God? That's that's an idol, right? So we put degrees on that. So I kind of push that over to the side. But I think as we grieve, we do elevate our loved ones, whether knowingly or not. We do them more saintly than they were on earth because that's us craving their presence and wanting them so we even see them in a little bit better light than they were. It's like this this more perfect thing I wish I had in my life. So is that a little bit of idolization? Maybe. I think it's love and yearning. But how somebody else views that is how they view it. That's my 100-0 rule. It's like this is I'm making you aware of my grief, but I can't control how you feel about my grief. If you feel I'm idolizing my loved one and you're skipping the rest of the message because you're turned off about me talking about my loved one, that's your problem. That ain't my problem. That's your problem. And I tell people a lot of times, every time in grief, in grief, pain is guaranteed, suffering is optional, and usually self-inflicted. Because we're so worried about other people. We put burdens on ourselves. We think somebody thinks something about us, or this person says something about us, and we're uncomfortable, or we let that person get in the way of us grieving in a healthy way because we're each of us is the expert on our own grief. And to me, as long as you're grieving in a healthy way, I ain't got no problem with it. If you're, if you're healthy way of grieving because you're not self-medicating and doing things that hurt yourself and doing crazy stuff that you never would have thought of doing if your loved one was here, so it's like, I ain't never jumped out of no airplane, but now that my loved one is gone, I'm going to start skydiving, you know, doing all these things that's close to death but not quite killing yourself, right? If you're not doing stuff like that and you're grieving it, that's, that's your grief journey. And so I pray for these folks because a lot of people don't understand and they can't understand unless they've gone through what we're going through. And I don't want nobody to understand what I go through. Because the only way you can understand right. what I go through is to have lost your grandchild. And I don't want nobody to understand that. Empathize with me? Yes. Care for me? Yes. Love on me? Yes. Understand me? No. Because the only way to truly understand is to have gone through it. I don't want nobody to deal with what i got to deal with having that empty seat at my dinner table every night. I don't want nobody to understand what that feels like. As I'm going through my grieving process, you also 
don't have space in my grieving process to tell me how to grieve when I'm doing it, and I know I'm doing it in a healthy way, by honoring my loved one's life and trying to bless others by showing them how my journey can help them. You ain't, you don't have no place in my journey. So you can sit and participate in it, sit and observe it, or get out of the way of it. But, I, yeah, that that's their burden to carry that they think I'm idolizing somebody. And typically when we think that way about somebody, we got something going on. So we got, we, I got enough stuff on my own to deal with that to worry about what you idolizing. Yeah. You know, and so that's how I feel about that. Um, you know, that, that ranks right up there with people that's oversaved. And they, they try to tell you how to grieve and how to do this and what you should do and what you can't do and believers grieve this way. Okay. That's, that's, since you are the moral authority on grief and salvation, I take that with a grain of salt and keep it moving. You know, yeah. I, but I'm not going to debate with that person. I'm not going to treat them terribly. I mean, because I, I, had, I had friends, people I, I thought were friends. Well, they were friends. I ain't going to say thought were friends. I, I think they showed themselves friendly to me before my grief. Um, deacons and otherwise, other church leadership that just said some stupid stuff to me not long after my granddaughter died, including, yeah, you're going to get through this, man. You know, just, just get over it. Just keep, you know, got to move on. You know, you know, don't, don't, don't be that way. You know, we got to, we got, got, and I'm like, yeah, who is that on the golf course or <laughs> in a parking lot at the grocery store? <laughs> this, this might not end well for you. You know, but it's okay. I just, I had to nod and walk away. And I'm like, yeah, he, he just don't know. You know, so people say stupid stuff. People do stupid things in our presence. People think they're helping, but they're not. But we have to remember who we were before our grief happened. And I, you know, and, and that wasn't, in me, that, that's not from day one. So don't, I'm not going to put myself on a pedestal, but through time I learned that. Wow. Because I, I remember a dear friend of mine, they had moved away. Um, Alana passed away. We had our funeral. They didn't come. I mean, I'm, I'm not stuck on who attends funerals or not or whatever. But we're at home about a week after the funeral. My phone rings, and they said, you know, um, hey, man, I, I don't need to ask you something. And I said, okay, yeah. I'm thinking he calling because they missed the funeral, wanted to give some condolences or something. And he says, we went to the doctor. My wife is sick. They don't know what's wrong with her. Can you and your wife pray for her healing? And frankly, the first thought that crossed my mind was, how dare he? Doesn't he know my granddaughter's dead? And you asking me to pray for you? I'm sitting there on the phone, and I'm just kind of zoning out as he talks about his wife being ill. And God pricks my spirit, and he says, you know, when you needed saving, you needed somebody to love on you, you needed my presence, I didn't tell you all the stuff that I had to deal with to, to save you and to love on you. So they're asking for prayer. That's what they need from you. And I, I told him I'd do it. I hung up the phone. I went and told my wife, and we Raised the paint off the walls for his wife. And he didn't know 
texted just weeks before as we were going to see about my granddaughter that had just died hours before that my wife looks at me on the drive to go see about my daughter, granddaughter, and her siblings. My wife says we didn't even get a chance to pray for her healing. God just took her instantly. She didn't get injured. She didn't get sick. She died instantly. We didn't get a chance to pray for her. She was just gone. And here we are a couple of weeks later, somebody saying, can you pray for my wife that she's healed? The very same thing that my wife said, we got denied the opportunity to do for our own granddaughter. But see, that, that's that spiritual and faith thing coming full circle in the midst of my own grief. I'm grieving hard, but I'm still saved. I still love God. My faith was bruised and battered, but I still had some faith. And God made a friend think of grieving Brad, not to care for grieving Brad, but to ask grieving Brad to pray for him. That's how all this stuff works. And we we have to, as a church body, see the fullness of everyone and what people are dealing with. And that bruised me more. Because, frankly, I hadn't really prayed from the moment that my granddaughter died until that moment when that friend called me to pray for his wife. So I hadn't prayed for myself. I hadn't prayed for my grandchildren, my wife, nobody, because I thought all I had was sad talk for God. I was I was hurt. I was sad. I was angry at times. I didn't think I had anything I could say to God that was worthy of him. But God made a friend think of me when that friend said, I need someone to pray for my wife. Who can I call? And God pricked his spirit and said, you need to call Brad and Benita to pray for y'all. But see, that somebody grieving needs to hear that. That bruised faith is still faith. Bruised faith don't mean absence of faith. Grieving don't mean absence of faith. Grieving don't mean loss of salvation. Grieving don't mean that you don't still love God. But we have so much of this, this weird black and whiteness when it comes to things of the spirit that we're uncomfortable with. So we turn people off and we say, well, you know, you just got you to perk up. You got to be happy. God didn't need a happy Brad. He needed a Brad that was willing to pray for somebody. God took me as I was. And I grieved right after I prayed for them. And I went another bout of having a hard time talking to God. But we gotta we gotta we gotta be able to lean into that as a church family and see people where they are in their grief and in their hurt and, and all those things, the fullness of a person. And stop over spiritualizing grief. Stop demanding peace and happiness and the willingness to move forward. No. In your hurt, 
you still are in the family, and God can still use you. We don't work. We don't walk alongside you as you heal, but God can still use you in your brokenness. That's what we need in a church family, not a, oh, he grieving. Let's put him in the corner till he feels better, or till he acts like he's feeling better. Right? Because imagine if I had fallen into that trap where I felt like I had to be happy and had to look like I was over it before I was useful to God. Think about that. And not that our prayers healed my friend. Well, she's our friend too, but I say my friend's wife because he called. Not that our prayers did that. The willingness of still participating in the church family in my brokenness, right? Because an environment was built for that that allowed me to still stay hurt and say, we're going to walk alongside you as you hurt. Now, and Brad's still a good dude. They didn't know I wasn't praying. They didn't know. They said, Brad's a good dude. Him and his wife love us. We're going to ask him to pray for us. I'm not even sure if he knew my granddaughter was dead. I couldn't remember if I called him or not. So think of all the things I could have blamed him for or got mad at him and like, oh, you ain't calling me because my granddaughter died? What you want? Right? Because maybe I forgot to call him. I don't even know if I called him. Now I'm blaming him for something that I didn't let him know of. Right? But that's the fullness of a person that we got to acknowledge and the church families to lean into and support. And when that train pulls off, let a couple people jump off and leave them behind with me. Yeah, the train is moving, but I got a couple of people that I left on the tracks for you as you skip and fall and bruise your knees and stumble along the track because the church got to keep going. The church got to do what it does. But leave me some people on the track while I'm dragging behind to catch up with y'all. And send me a letter or a telegram back in that little town you left me in to see how I'm doing. You know, we got to do that as a church body. Hmm. Even when, even when we lose someone, uh, it could be a sister, brother, and there's someone else that lost the same "quote unquote" type of or the relationship or the position of the relationship, you know, you can get two brothers that lost two sisters and because of the different relationship, their response will be different. Um, Matter of fact, my sister had four brothers and each one of us, we're different and we are allowed to grieve in our own way. But I did not realize this until um, my sister's service when Walter, Walter was up speaking, and I was right behind Walter to get ready to speak. And Walter said he lost his big sister. And I kind of, I don't know if I, you know, if it showed on my face, but I kind of like, he lost his big sister. Who is he talking about? And then it dawned on me. He lost my little sister. 
his big sister was my little sister or almost twin sister. And I was like, and all this time, it didn't dawn on me, if you want to say, how selfish I was of my sister because she was mine, all mine. Didn't even think about Walter, Jerry, Ronnie. Didn't think about them. You know, you know them. So I was like, wow. And so that really opened up my eyes in the scope of grief. You know, so, you know, until someone experiences it, we never can really just go there with someone because we never experienced. Yeah. But now I may not be able to say verbatim, but I may have a sense, and that's even therapeutic for me. You know, so and and I and I appreciate you sharing that story because I'm gonna be honest with you. Just like you, I had somebody uh, an hour, maybe an hour and a half after I posted about my sister's murder, somebody inboxed me and told me to pray for them because they finna get ready to get evicted from their apartment. And um, I almost lost it. Being honest with you, I almost lost it. I just got off the phone with the uh, detective. The detective called me because they didn't know who I was, me messaging my sister. And after I just got off the phone with them, then my phone buzzing again. I look and somebody telling me to pray for them. They finna get evicted. And then 15 minutes later, they contacted me again. Uh, make sure you pray for me. Uh, I've been walk into the courtroom. Be honest, I got my phone. I threw it on the bed. I don't want to read that. So I appreciate yeah, you, you hearing me even sharing that story. That that that's real. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if any if somebody would have called me in the moment after my because I, I got a phone call in my office about my granddaughter dying in an accident. If anybody had called me moments after that, I don't I don't know what they would have got. <laughs> so throw on phone or whatever. And I, I'm I'm not a cursor. I don't do stuff like that, but. You don't know what's going to come out of you in those moments. And maybe God knew this. He made sure my phone didn't work or something, you know, because <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't – yeah, it was – and that's the thing. And, and it's, it's – um, you bring up a, a, a point that I, – I remember when Alana passed away and, you know, and there was a little news broadcast about it, and I'm sure something – similar was with your sister, you know, because things like that make the news, right? And um, and then you start getting people emailing you, oh, I Googled what happened, and, and this, everybody want to be a detective, everybody want to know, and it's that inquisitiveness, but we, we forget that's, that's, that was somebody's real person. I, I, didn't, I didn't lose my wallet at Walmart, right? Um, Somebody didn't steal my package off the front doorstep, and I put up a ring doorbell video on Facebook. I lost a loved one. And for you to say I Googled it and, and oh, my condolences, what happened? You don't really care how I feel. You're not really giving condolences. That's just your intro to soften your question. Mm-hmm. Right? And... And it's amazing how many people in the body of Christ 
do that outside of your worldly friends because they need that stimulus. They, why must you know I lost a loved one should be enough? But it's human nature. There's even just the so-and-so died at the church. Oh, what happened? It's like your instant thing, right? And that weirdness of the world moving forward without you. Because you're, you're in the grief moment. But the world, because it's constantly moving, they want information. They're not grieving. So their stimulus is from the information. And yes, you lost a loved one, but my rent still due. And yes, you lost a loved one, but I got to go to the grocery store, right? It's hard, you know. Um, yeah, that, that, that's the. <laughs> it's, it's hard when the world keeps moving forward uh, without you, and people's lives keep going on. They still handling their business and want to be part of your business. Um, when you're dealing with your grief, yeah. So that's, I can only imagine that. Um, because it's like their need is the only need that they care about. Just like, frankly, your grief is the only thing you care about at the moment. And just those mm-hmm. things are conflicting at the moment, right? Yeah. Their, their conviction of one thing going on in their life. And they whether they know or didn't know you're dealing with something, that doesn't change the importance of their thing. So there, right? right? So um, that's like me expecting the world to stop because my granddaughter died, right? How dare you be on this freeway? How dare, you know, you shopping? But, you know, I got to go buy, you know, stocks and, you know, and shoes and a little dress for her funeral. How dare you be in Target or at Macy's in the mall while I'm in the mall trying to do that, you know? And it's all these things, right? So it's uh, and yeah, I, I think you're you're well allowed to be selfish uh, for some time in your grief, but at some point you gotta. I mean, you you you, you know, still gotta go put gas in your car eventually. You know, still gotta cook some eggs in the morning eventually. You know, so you learn to grieve and that, you know, mm-hmm. and let some other people's business into your life. And yeah, but it's a uh, it's not an easy thing, man, for sure. Yeah. Now, I tell you what, I'm I don't wanna I don't wanna keep you hostage longer, <laughs> but um I'm very appreciative and based upon the comments, this is this is the topic that is really needed. And if you don't mind to share some some words as well as Close with a prayer to those who may be grieving at this moment. Yeah, I, I'll say this, and I alluded to it a couple times here and there before. But as long as you're grieving in a healthy way, honoring your loved one, and you are honoring God, love much, grieve much. Your grief is not a sign of weakness of faith of weakness in your relationship with God. So rest in that. God knows it all. He understands it all. 
Let him walk with you. He's always there, but you got to give him access. And I, I just encourage you to give God access to that wound, to that void in your life that you're grieving. Um, to find someone to lean on. Um, you know, fractured faith is still faith. Fractured relationship with God is still a relationship. He'll use whatever you got at the moment and to, to help you work through it. And, you know, and Brother Prather and I, we want to be available to you, you know, to walk whatever part of your journey that you're on right now, if you allow us to walk it with you. So please reach out to me, DM me. Um, my website is myname.com, bradleyvinson.com. Reach out to me. Um, I try to be as available as I can and send you free resources or whatever. But I just want to uh, give a quick word of prayer for you and, and yeah, just that you are, that you have peace on this journey. So I just want to give a quick word of prayer. We just thank you, God, for this opportunity to come before you as your people, God, with our fractured hearts, our fractured spirits, God. We're bruised, and at times we feel completely broken, God. But we just want to give you the pieces, knowing that you can mend us back together, God, or just hold the pieces in your bosom as we heal. Help us to be available to you, God, and help us to see you through the clouds, through the rain, through the darkness. You are always there, God. Just help us clear the clouds that are before us to see you. You've never moved. You've never changed. Just help us see you, God. Please bless us throughout this process, God. Help us to walk this journey well, this hardest of journeys. Help us to find those that are willing to walk the journey with us, God. And when we find ourselves feeling like we're walking alone, help us see you. We love you, God. We love others that are on this journey, God. Please bless us. Help us to hold and care for each other. We love you, God. We love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Dr. Vincent, I appreciate you. And um, one more thing. Um, Love to have you back again to talk about grief, and this time talking about grief pertaining to the ending of a relationship. You know, I've, I felt the need. You know, earlier we had spoke about um, before the episode that we were going to speak about a variety of grief, but the Lord just allowed this to be able to happen for those to be able to really just uh, get the help that's needed pertaining to the death and hey look I just thank you and also I thank you on a personal thank you for helping me during my grieving process and my family Walter and my other family members I appreciate you and you know this is this is uh, one of many visits that we will have with you oh yeah I'm always available brother man and you know the conversations that we have offline are just as impactful and as loving and as enriching as those that we happen to have online every now and then. So I'm always here for you, man, and your family. As you know, we love y'all. And, uh, yeah, you, you know we ain't strangers, so we're we going to keep this going. So whatever you need me, let me know. All right, all right. To be continued, and I thank each and every one of y'all for tuning in. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Reconnect My Heart podcast. God bless you. And good night.